Hey, my friend, welcome along to the Nutrition Nuggets podcast, helping you get clarity on nutrition. I'm your host, Dale Pinnock, Sunday Times bestselling author, nutritionist, and creator of the Culinary Medicine College. Every episode here in the podcast, we dig deep on the subject of nutrition to give you clarity, to give you answers, and to expand your knowledge. Hey, my friends, how are you doing? How's it going? How has your week been? Been a good one? Good. Glad to hear it. So, this week's podcast, again, is a question from Instagram. This one's coming from Jane, and Jane is saying, what steps can we take to support our immunity now that we'll be moving into the winter? Well, we're not quite there yet, Jane. Not even not even hit the autumn yet, but I know what you're saying. Look, it, it's, it's getting to that that time of year where, you know, before we know it, autumn will be upon us. And obviously already the doom mongers in the press are talking about the fact that there's going to be a triple whammy of flus and bad colds as well as, you know, the dreaded vid and all of that kind of stuff. And a lot of people are starting to think about the steps that they can take. Um, from my point of view, the same approach applies at any time of year, any time where you actually want to be supporting your immunity via nutrition. Obviously, there's lots of important factors. Let's uh, let's um, not forget that. Sleep, stress management, all of that kind of stuff, vitally important. But from a nutritional point of view, the steps that you would take are exactly the same. So I'm going to go through a few of my favorite nutrients and tell you why I think that they're so important and also how you can make sure that you're getting the right amounts of these nutrients to actually deliver some benefits. So top of the list for me always is the mineral zinc. Now, zinc is one of those nutrients that's been consistently effective in clinical trials against things like the common cold. Vitamin C, you know, its performance is really, really varied. Some trials, it it, it fares very well. Other trials shown very little effect. We'll come on to vitamin C later because it is important. It does play a role in immunity, but nowhere near as effectively as zinc as something that you would take in an acute phase of infection, maybe. Okay, preventative could be a different story, but certainly in acute phases of infection, when you first start to come down with something, zinc can be very, very effective. The reason being is that zinc is used by our white blood cells. The white blood cells are the army of the immune system. They are the the population of cells that do the job, that do a lot of the jobs at the actual front end. You know, they're, they're, they're the foot soldiers in, you know, on the front line. They are the army of the immune system. So the white blood cells use zinc to manufacture genes. They actually use zinc to code the genes that then in turn regulate the way in which they respond to pathogens. So it's almost like zinc helps to write the software that controls the way in which these cells respond when they actually come face to face with a pathogen or when they detect certain signals from like the site of infection. So for example, if <clears throat> excuse me, if we if we have um, an acute stage of infection, the that the tissue in that area will start to release a chemical message, like a chemical distress call that the immune system hears and actually goes to the site of infection to, you know, go in there and kick ass, basically. So zinc will manufacture genes that regulate how the white cells respond when faced with those kinds of stimuli, okay? 
This can have a huge impact on how effectively an immune response is instigated in those early stages of infection. So with zinc, you're looking at an intake of around about 15 milligrams a day for women and 30 milligrams a day for men. Women shouldn't overdo it. Men do need a little bit more because it is so key to testosterone metabolism. Zinc has got so many roles to play in the body, you know, from influencing what's going on with sebaceous secretion, so like the oil secreting glands in the skin through to hormone metabolism, through to certain neurological effects. It's it's very ubiquitous and it's got lots of roles to play. Um, but men, we've got this extra need for it because it's it's got such a vital role to play in testosterone metabolism. So that's why we need that extra. Women shouldn't go over 15 milligrams a day. Otherwise, you do risk toxicity issues in the long term. Supplements can can kind of control how you know specifically you get that amount. If you're looking at foods, shellfish, so oysters being the number one, but I think they're repulsive little things. <laughs> if you like them, fine. Um, squid, prawns, most sea fish would be pretty high in zinc. And then you've got plant sources like walnuts and pumpkin seeds as well. So very, very widely distributed in our diets if you're eating a good whole foods diet. Or you can just take that supplement, 15 milligrams a day for women, 30 milligrams a day for men, and that will tick all your boxes. So that's nutrient number one is zinc. Excuse me. Secondly, the second nutrient that I, I mean, I, I take this all year round anyway, regardless of what season we're in, I take it constantly, and that is vitamin D. Vitamin D has so many roles to play in our body, in the nervous system, in the brain, and aspects of digestive health, yes, influencing things like enterocyte um, turnover. And absolutely, I mean, of course, we all know the role that it plays in the skeleton. We know that it's important for the utilisation of calcium. And certainly, well, what it does is it actually regulates serum concentrations of calcium in like a two-way street. But in terms of immunity, it's really, really interesting. Every single cell line within the immune system, so all of those white cells, every single different type of the white cells have got vitamin D receptors on them. We don't fully understand what happens at that receptor level. But nature doesn't do things just for the sake of it. So we've probably still got a lot more to discover. But we know that there's a vitamin D receptor on all of those cells. So clearly, vitamin D has a very, very important regulatory activity. We That's one of the things that we do know is when, when it binds to certain types of cells, it can regulate the, the way in which these cells respond. But this is a thing that I found really, really interesting. Obviously, in the early days of COVID... We were any anyone like me, anyone that's kind of like in the health world. We would be we would be having our our head in the research as much as we could because we were all trying to figure it out. Let's be honest. I mean, it was certainly back then. It was such an unknown. I think all of us were bricking it a little bit, and we kind of like, well, what the hell is actually coming? And during that time, I came across some, uh, and this is this was widely publicised as well. I mean, this was everywhere eventually, but came across some research that was done during the SARS and MERS outbreaks, which very very similar pathological picture, not the same but similar. And the the feature that they shared with COVID nineteen is this acute stage of a cytokine storm. Now, earlier when I was talking about zinc, I was talking about chemical messengers that are released from the site of infection. These are called cytokines. Cytokines, they're like communication proteins that will actually 
regulate the way in which the, the immune system responds to what's going on. So at the early stages of infection, you get a localized inflammatory response, okay? <clears throat> Excuse me, I've got a real frog in my throat today. I don't know why. Um, you get this, this acute inflammatory response. When the pathogen starts to cause infection, that local area will respond by secreting out almost like a, an emergency response, which is this localized production of pro-inflammatory cytokines, these communication substances that will cause this inflammatory response. And what happens with that inflammatory response is the blood vessels dilate. They really, really dilate to the point where they're stretched so much, the, the actual cells that make up the vessel wall start to even separate a little bit and you get little gaps forming in the, in in the vessel wall and what happens there I mean one you get like a rush of interstitial fluid so when well like a, a rush of um of plasma sorry um fill in that area so you get fluid in that area and you also create an environment that allows the white cells to get there more effectively so the white cells pick up on that cytokine signal and they're like oh okay we've got an acute situation going on here they rush to the area of infection and because there's that dilation within the blood vessels and there's those little gaps in the vessel walls the white cells are able to squeeze through those gaps get directly into the tissue where the pathogen is causing problems deal with the infection and then once the immune system's dealt with the infection and it's got things under control a different group of cytokines are then released and these are anti-inflammatory cytokines cytokines that pull down that inflammatory response that's why you know a couple of days of infection like if you've got like an infected cut you'll get a couple of days infection it's really really red and swollen and you might get a lot of pus after a couple of days which is dead neutrophils Um, and then it goes down the swelling goes down and the heat goes down and the pain goes down and it starts to even itself out. That is that whole process in action. But what happened with SARS and Mars? SARS and Mars. SARS and Mars. (laughs) Come on, get your teeth here. And also with COVID-19 especially, is that there's this aggressive, constant upregulation of the pro-inflammatory cytokines. And they get it gets to a point where they call it a cytokine storm, where there's just this constant upregulation of the cytokines without the sort of reflexive anti-inflammatory cytokines being released after a certain amount of time. But when when it's kind of upregulating aggressively and consistently and just going and going and going like a runaway train, that's when you start to get obviously within the local area you get damage in the lungs and and the lungs starting to, to to get scarring and things. But also you get this systemic inflammatory thing going on. And this is where you get like excessive blood clotting and you're starting to see multi-organ failure all of those things that we understand about the like the the pathophysiology of covid infection vitamin d now i know i kind of waffled on a little bit there i sorry i don't do short explanations <laughs> vitamin d when someone is and this is a really important distinction by the way when someone is vitamin d replete at the time of infection i.e. their vitamin d status is in an ideal status, you know, their level of vitamin D in their body is at an ideal level, at the time of infection, they don't get this cytokine storm, or certainly not anywhere near as aggressively. 
they get an initial kind of flood of pro-inflammatory cytokines. If they didn't, they'd probably be dead. So it's a very important response. But it doesn't get out of control. It doesn't go haywire. And it actually keeps it in a very, very healthy range. And also it allows the body to kind of switch on that anti-inflammatory cytokine response as well. So that's a really, really important one. So very, very, very long story short, vitamin D, maybe two to 3,000 IUs a day all year round. Okay, so that was that was number two. Number three, good old vitamin C. Vitamin C, 1,000 milligrams of ecstasy once a day, be more than fine. Two things that vitamin C does. Firstly, it helps to increase the speed of migration of white cells to the area of infection. So when they receive those chemical messages, they can move to the site of infection more effectively. Second thing is vitamin C makes something called the oxidative burst much stronger. There's certain types of white blood cell that when they come face to face with certain pathogens, they will release a cloud of free radicals. They'll literally puff out this this cloud of free radicals. Free radicals are unstable molecules that are searching for um, an electron to become chemically stable. Don't worry about the chemistry too much. It really doesn't matter for most of us. But this cloud of free radicals is released and just destroys the pathogen. It's called the oxidative burst. Vitamin C can make that response more aggressive. So those are the two main things for vitamin C. It's got a thousand and one other other benefits to your body as well. So a good one to supplement with regularly. Then we come on to the Rolls Royce of all of this. We come on to probably the number one natural product for immune support. And it's a group rather than a single thing. And that is the medicinal mushrooms. Sounds a bit dodgy, but it's not. You know, it's not kind of laying in the garden, giggling at the sky kind of mushrooms. We're talking reishi, shiitake, maitake, coriolis. Those are the big four when it comes to immunomodulation. And listen, this isn't this isn't some kind of hokey, weird, ancient herbal remedy that's got no grounding in science. We have forty three years of clinical research done on these. We're talking large cohort, double blind, randomized, placebo controlled trials in a clinical setting on the effects of these mushrooms. So this has probably one of the strongest evidence bases behind it out of all of um, the plant medicines. The Kobe Pharmaceutical University in Japan under Dr. Hiroki Nanba did a huge body of this research. Also, quite a lot done in the US. The US, the research was so effective that a drug was um, cleared by the FDA from extracted from Coriolis mushrooms. There was a fragment called polysaccharide K, otherwise known as PSK, that got turned into a drug called Crestin that was then used as immunotherapy for cancer patients. So this stuff has the evidence behind it. This stuff we're not playing about when it comes to the data. Right. These four mushrooms... I mean, there's loads more medicinal mushrooms, and they've got other all sorts of other weird and wonderful benefits, like being adaptogens and having very interesting effects on um, on neurons and stuff like that. I mean, lion's mane mushroom, 
and neuroplasticity. I mean, that's just a whole new world. But we're talking about immunity here, okay? Sorry, I'm just sipping a green juice. Um, immunity. Those four mushrooms, reishi, shiitake, maitake, coriolis, they contain these very, very special high molecular weight sugars called polysaccharides, particularly beta-glucans. Now, beta-glucans, these are a type of polysaccharide, a type of sugar, <coughs> excuse me, type of sugar that won't actually get broken down in digestion. They're not broken down in the small intestine. They're not even touched by pancreatic enzymes. They're not even touched by bacterial fermentation. They literally will come straight out the other end intact. However, they have this incredible impact upon our immune system. And, the, you know, these have been isolated as the, the key component. So how on earth does that happen? How is that possible? That something that doesn't go into our circulation, just kind of travels straight through the digestive tract and out the other end, how does it deliver the benefit that it does? This is the fascinating part. And the reason I geek out about this is I, I did one of my university dissertations on this, so <laughs> I'd love to nerd out on it a little bit. Within the walls of our gut, I mean, if you think about it, the gut is a key area where pathogens could enter the body. So it needs to be very, very tightly policed by our immune system. There needs to be multiple layers of defense. One of the layers of defense is little patches of tissue called payers patches. Now, these I, I kind of liken these to a surveillance station or like a security guard's hut, okay? So imagine like on a, on a busy industrial estate, you've got little security huts around so that if they spot anything dodgy, they can have a little look, but most of the time they'll just radio through to the police and say, right, can you turn up and sort these miscreants out? There's something going on. Payers patches are a little bit like that, okay? Payers patches contain certain types of cells like antigen-presenting cells, and also right next to the Peyer's patch is something called a dendritic cell. This combination of the Peyer's patch, the antigen-presenting cells, dendritic cells, they're constantly monitoring gut contents. They're constantly sampling gut contents. I mean, part of that is a process called tolerance, where we know the, whether something that we're eating, so a food comes in, it's like, oh, that's safe, that's a food, that's something we need, that can go in. And when it's something that looks a bit dodgy, it's like, no, we need to keep that out, we need to let the immune system know. That's a process called tolerance. But also, clearly, it's a it's a, a clear inroad for, for pathogens. So it makes sense that there needs to be this constant sampling and then reporting back to the immune system of everything that's coming in. What happens with beta-glucans from medicinal mushrooms is <clears throat> as soon as they come into contact with the payers patches and the gut and this is part of something called gut gut associated lymphoid tissue once the polysaccharides the beta beta glucans come into contact with the payers patches the dendritic cells etc there's almost like an alarm response it, like the all of a sudden the the security guards are like what the hell's going on we've got like a great big someone's pulling a job here you know there's this like three vans full of skinheads kind of turned up something's definitely going on it's that kind of equivalent right so the the cell lines within the payers patches are getting really really g'd up and they send a cytokine signal so we're going back to cytokines again we're going back to this kind of systemic communication a whole group of cytokines are pumped out by 
the cell lines within the payer's patch and it sends the immune system into a little bit of a uh, an alarm state. And what happens? Two incredible things happen. The first one is that there is a massive upregulation in macrophages and also the macrophages will speed to the site of any infection much more rapidly and deliver a much more aggressive result. But probably some, the, some, the thing that I find most fascinating, and this probably has is less relevant to your kind of everyday infections that you that Jane might have been asking about when we kind of you know move into that time of the year. This has got something else, and I'll let you kind of draw the conclusions on that one. But what we get with beta glucan is a massive upregulation in a type of cell called a natural killer cell. Okay, a massive upregulation in natural killer cells. Now, natural killer cells happen to be the only cell line of the immune system that can directly identify and target cancer cells. These are the things that are basically, you know, because every single one of us have cancer cells every day forming, but the immune system, the natural killer cells, will detect like cell surface markers on some of these cells and realize that, you know, there's there's genetic anomalies there and, and it will and the natural killer cells will actually go there and destroy those cells there and there. This is happening constantly in our body. If we ever get to the point where a, a tumour starts to form, where like the, the cluster of cancerous cells have evaded the immune system for a little while, but they've got to a point where they're starting to steal oxygen and nutrients from surrounding tissue, the body switches on a process called angiogenesis, which is where that tumour will suddenly get its own blood supply. The body, the body thinks it's doing something good. It's like, oh, hang on. There's an area of, of of growth here that is stealing all the nutrients from around it. We can't have that. Let's give it its own supply. It needs it. It's growing. It needs it. Soon as that tumour gets its blood supply, that's when we move into the stage of like a tumour really, really d- developing and becoming a problem. But also, this is the crazy thing. When a, tu- a tumour starts to flourish at that level, it starts to secrete certain chemicals that can downregulate the production of natural killer cells. So it starts to look after its own interest. It starts to basically push down the cell line of the immune system that can actually destroy it. Hmm. And then beta-glucans from these medicinal mushrooms can cause an upregulation, a big spike of natural killer cells. So draw from that what you will. And take a look at the research. Take a look at the data. Like I say, from uh, Dr. Hiraoki Namba at the Kobe Pharmaceutical University, 43 years. 43 years worth of clinical data. Double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled trials on large cohorts in hospital settings. Okay? So draw from it what you will. I'm not going to say anything around that. But I know I've kind of gone down a few rabbit holes here, but that's what this whole thing is here for. It's here to kind of be able to go down rabbit holes like that. Those are my top nutrients or nutrient stroke natural products for supporting immune health. Zinc, 15 milligrams a day for women, 30 milligrams a day for men. Vitamin D, around about between one and 4,000 IUs daily. Vitamin C, 1000 milligrams of ester C, which is the non-acidic form, and then medicinal mushrooms, reishi, 
shiitake, maitake, and coriolis. Those are my top tips when it comes to supporting your immunity with natural products. Now, before I let you go, if you love nerding out on nutrition like I do, if you want to take a deep dive, I mean, listen, what we've covered here doesn't even scratch the surface. It, it, is, the, it is like the, the scantest of detail. You know, we can, we can dive into this to a ridiculous level. And if that's something that you want to do, if you've really, really considered doing a course in nutrition, if you want to study it, maybe even, you know, start a new career, maybe make nutrition part of your current business or current career, then consider taking my diploma in culinary medicine. Now, I launched the Culinary Medicine College back in 2019. And since then, you know, there's 1,000 plus students on every single continent on the planet. Well, apart from Antarctica, but I'm working on that. I'm sure we can maybe recruit an Inuit somewhere. The point is, you know, it's be- it's become a global community. It's become the most widely accredited online non-clinical kind of course in the world. It is now a recognized qualification in 39 countries. So create something here that really can bring you value. I mean, yes, we do the deep dive. Yes, we go into a level of nutrition that will probably keep you up at night sometimes. You know, we go deep. But it's also something that you can do something with. It's something that's recognized. It's something that will allow you to go and get insurance and actually start to work and put it to put it to good use. And, you know, the, the, the key structure of it is we teach you the science of nutrition. We, te- we teach you all the anatomy and physiology, but also how, you, how the body starts to change during disease processes, how nutrition fits into that picture, be that as a potential causative factor or indeed as a therapeutic tool. And then we show you how to actually bring that all together, how to take that science and apply it to what happens in the kitchen, breakfast, lunch and dinner how to help clients make change and understand what's going on and understand what kind of key changes they need to make and how and why. All of that's covered in there, as well as the intense deep dive that we do. So if that's something that you've thought about, if you always wanted to study nutrition, but you don't necessarily want to do four-year degree, you don't necessarily want to give four years of your life full-time, if you want something that you can dip in and out of, you can you can study it in your own time, there's no time pressures, you can just take your time and get something that's actually got some validity and you can do something incredible with, then do consider taking my diploma. To find out more, just go to culinarymedicinecollege.com. That's culinarymedicinecollege.com. That's got all of the info and it would be great to welcome you on board as one of the students.